if I do donate this embryo and I have an open relationship, will this child feel like mine? Um, will it be really difficult for me if they look like one of my children or myself? Welcome back to Fem Power Health. This is Georgie, your host. As we journey through a special three-part series, we find ourselves at the heart of our narrative with today's episode, part two, focusing on embryo donation. In our previous installment, we tackled the myths and facts of fertility treatments, shedding light on the truths often shrouded in mystery. Today, we voyage further, navigating the delicate waters of embryo donation. This chapter is more than just about processes. It's about choices, emotions, and the courage to decide. And boy, do I know this world well. We're joined by three exceptional women, Jen Vesbitt, Maya Grobel, and Gina Davis. Each carries a unique story, tales of decisions made around leftover embryos and the contemplation of using donor embryos. Their candid revelations promise to inspire, inform, and perhaps even challenge your own perceptions. And before we dive in, a quick note for our listeners. Do visit the FemPower Health website where you can find content tailored to your interests or life stage. And if this episode resonates with you or sheds light on areas you've always wondered about, please take a moment to leave us a review. Your feedback helps spread the word and ensures our content reaches those who need it most. And if you find value in our discussions, don't forget to share it with friends and loved ones. So now let's set sail on this introspective journey, exploring the intricacies of the decisions that shape lives. Thank you all so much for joining uh, the Fem Power Health podcast. We are here to discuss a difficult but really important topic, and that is embryos. And I'm so honored that all of you can join. And I definitely want you to do the round of introductions where you also share your personal story. Um, but what's exciting is this is the first time I've had four people on. I think the most I've had is three total people. Um, and so I'm really excited that there's going to be four of us here to connect. And um, I'm just really excited for everything you all have to share. And because embryo donation, whether you have leftover embryos, what to do with them, you want to donate or you want, you need donated embryos. It's all tough. None of it is perfect. And so that's what we're here to talk about today. All right. So why don't we go around and what I would love to start with is tell us who you are, your background, and whatever you're comfortable sharing about what brought you here today. So Maya, why don't we start with you? Okay. Thank you for having us today, Georgie. Um, so I am, I'm Maya. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist in the field of reproductive medicine. And I had a four plus year fertility journey that ended with um, the birth of my now eight-year-old daughter who was conceived through embryo donation. And embryo donation wasn't exactly the path I intended to build a family with, but that's where I landed. And um, it taught me a lot of different things in the process. Um, my husband and I also made a film called One More Shot that came out on Netflix and it documented our journey to parenthood. And after that film came out, because it was in all English speaking countries, we got 
emails from people who were offering us their embryos. And it was the first time I even conceptualized this as an option. We went, we really didn't know a lot about embryo donation. I had done IVF. I'd done obviously, you know, IUIs, (laughs) sort of the gateway into the fertility treatment, but we did IVF. We did not create any embryos ourselves. I have diminished ovarian reserve. And so we very quickly went to IVF and, um, my sister ended up donating eggs to us at, at some point. And, you know, we just, we, we did a lot and we learned about embryo donation just through a clinic-based program. And we thought, okay, I guess, you know, you don't really know a lot. And, um, and then once the film came out and I, I saw people reaching out and realize you don't even think about having remaining embryos when you can't make any yourself <laughs> in a way, right? So I didn't even consider this. And I thought, oh my gosh, these people, they're sending photos of their children. They're saying, if you need help, we can help you. And, you know, at that point I I already had a child um, and wasn't really ready to jump into anything (laughs) again. (laughs) But, um, but anyways, it really just opened up this concept of people have remaining embryos and they're willing to help other people grow their family. And what does that mean? And how do you make sense of, of, sharing genetics in this way. And as I started really learning about the landscape of embryo donation, I learned a lot of things that I thought were challenging on both sides. And I also learned that there are well over a million embryos being stored around this country. And um, embryo donation is not, you know, that popular. I mean, it's becoming more and more popular. But anyways, it, it just... I just realized there was a lot of work to be done in this space, especially in terms of education and supporting people. Um, I transitioned my career to really focus on um, reproductive medicine and fertility patients and third-party reproduction. And yeah, and that was, you know, I guess a decade ago. And so now here I am with these two lovely ladies and we created Empower together. And did I cover everything? Did, did you mention the um, part about where you are a psychotherapist and also specialize in reproductive yeah. medicine, correct? So you have like deep, deep knowledge and empathy for what people are going through outside of just even your Absolutely. personal Absolutely. And I, you know, I was a therapist for a good amount of time before I became a fertility patient and then transitioned my career. And my background is child welfare. And I worked with kids um, and families who were really struggling. And I think that's also given me a lens to think about the whole family when you're talking about whether it's embryo donation or third party reproduction. And it felt like a little bit of a missing link in some ways that um, really understanding the needs of the children who are conceived in this way. So um, anyways, it's just an added kind of lens. And it's something we focus on at Empower is just really helping people create long-term healthy families, because it's not just about getting pregnant. It's about, you know, all the different players, all the different people involved. So Jen, tell us about yourself and your journey. I'll cut to the end and then I'll go back. Um, I am an embryo donor myself, which is, you know, why I work in this field, am attracted to this field, think about embryo donation all the time. Um, My history with infertility is, 
I was in a marriage at the time that where we were diagnosed with male factor infertility. It was the typical, you know, try for one year. I was in my 30s at the time. And then if nothing happens, you know, you can see a fertility specialist. So we did that. Um, we did everything we could to increase sperm count, um, acupuncture, anything you could think of. And then finally, at the end, it was like, okay, really the only way it, for you to conceive a child outside of some sort of miracle is um, IVF um, and ICSI. Uh, so we did that. Um, we went through one cycle. And at the end of that cycle, there were two viable embryos. They transferred both. This is back when they were still transferring two embryos. This is pre-genetic testing. I mean, they were doing it, but not a lot at the time. Um, and so I did get pregnant. And then uh, when I went to the eight week uh, check for heartbeat, there was not one. So um, very devastating time in my life, as a lot of your audience probably understands. Um, and I felt like I don't even know if I could go through it one more time. And I know that there are people that go through many, many rounds of IUIs and IVFs. And for me, it was just, you know, it, it was very difficult. Um, but we did decide to give it uh, one more shot, and we went um, we went to a different. We moved across the country, so I currently live in Portland, Oregon, and we used a fertility clinic here, and we were successful. So this time around, at the end, we had three viable embryos. They transferred two. I became pregnant with twins. I had twins in uh, 2012. And then I had one single remaining embryo. So um, as many people with re remaining embryos can relate to, um, I would get my annual storage bill saying, what would you like to do with these? Um, in my case, I hadn't recalled filling out a disposition option before IVF because my focus was just to be a mom and I just would sign whatever and not really think about long-term consequences. Um, so, you know, the, the storage bill would come for the first couple of years. It was a no brainer to just continue to pay storage because, you know, we had newborn twins and then toddler twins. Um, but then, you know, around the time that the twins were four, we really started thinking about, okay, what are we going to do? Um, my partner preferred to donate to science um, or medical research. And I either wanted to try for another child on my own, or if that wasn't going to work for us, you know, as a family, I wanted to donate. So in the end, we decided to donate. Um, my clinic at the time was not doing any sort of directed open donations, and that was important to me. Uh, so I went off on my own and found a recipient. When my twins were five, uh, she had a baby boy. And um, so sometimes you think, okay, that's where the journey ends. Like I made my decision, you know, she got a, a baby. I have my twins. But what I found is really that's when a new journey began. And that is how to navigate, you know, talking to our children about the, you know, teaching them from a very young age. You know, my twins were five years older. So I sort of, you know, have done a lot more of that. And she's now that he's he's six, you know, she's talking to him more. But it's been quite um, a learning process and a beautiful experience to see how the children conceptualize the fact that they have a full genetic, you know, sibling living in another household. Um, and I could go on and on and on about, you know, that and, and how it's been and the ebbs and flows throughout the years. But I will just say that it's, it's really been a beautiful experience.
I should also say that um, I have my master's degree in counseling around this time when I had my miscarriage, I was graduating. Um, and so I became a nationally certified counselor. Um, and so when I was going through the process of um, my recipient becoming pregnant and having her child, I've really felt like, where are my people? Like, where is anybody that knows what this feels like? And I couldn't find anybody. So I started my own web community website and started running support groups for people with remaining embryos that either had donated and were kind of navigating the feelings of donation or had not made their decision and were, you know, needing to hear from others who had made um, similar decisions. So I did that um, for a few years, just free online groups on my own. And that's what led me to meet, I think, Gina first and then Maya. And so maybe this is a good transition into Gina's story. Thank you so much. And it's funny with, with each of your stories, I'm like, I have a million questions, but we're going to, we're going to try to like, you know, cover the broad areas. But what I really appreciate is people being able to hear the personal stories because everyone has such an experience. And I know when I went through my four-year fertility journey, it was truly the experience of others because it's like a different world. You know, people who didn't have to go through this don't understand. And it's not a negative thing. It's a fact. It's just, if you haven't done it, it's just different. And so the community is, is huge. So Gina, tell us your story. So yeah, my story begins a little earlier because I actually went into the field of infertility right out of college. I knew I wanted to be a genetic counselor in infertility. So I was working as a medical assistant from the time I was 21, I was working with fertility patients. Um, and then I went to graduate school, um, became a genetic counselor, got my dream job, was working at UCSF. I was working with some of the best and the brightest IVF doctors, seeing patients and never really imagining that I was going to be in their shoes. I mean, I know, I know the stats. So I was like, well, there's a possibility, but it wasn't like I went in there thinking I was going to be a fertility patient. I just really connected with the experience of how do you make meaning of going through fertility treatment and making genetic testing decisions and like all the complication, like I like science and all that stuff. So I was, but I, but I like the human aspect of science. So anyway, I had been working as a genetic counselor in a fertility practice for several years before my husband and I started trying on our own. And we started trying for a kid and for our first baby and um, was surprised because I was really young. I mean, I went I was 27 when we first started and I was just like thinking, you know, I, I looked at the data at all the data and I was like, I think we're going to be fine. So I really didn't take it very seriously when we weren't getting pregnant right away. Lo and behold, you know, I had unexplained infertility and we went through, you know, some stuff, you know, as many people do, I went through um, several IUIs. I went through several surgeries. Again, it was unexplained, but there were things, you know, there's always something, okay, well, maybe these dermoids are in the way and we'll, you know, move these, you know, we'll get these out so we can do stimulation. And then they had, they found later, they found a septum in my uterus. And there's just like a couple of different things, but I was not really prepared for really, really good news. Um, and when I had my stimulation, I stimulated like an egg donor. I was making, I made so many eggs that I was like, whoa, this is a good problem. I could only see it as I'm winning the lottery. Oh my gosh, we're going to have a child. Like it was just complete. Um, I was on a high, you know, that we had so many eggs that they were, they were monitoring and I was like, okay, I was doing the numbers. I think like, there's just, unless something is really crazy, I'm going to have a baby. So I was just really excited. My, my stimulation was, my IVF cycle was actually quite fun in, in the grand scheme of things, because I was like, okay, this is finally going to happen. You know, <laughs> ultimately 
we had all these eggs and I was like, well, what are we going to do? We had put all our entire life savings at this point into our cycle. It was in the middle of a recession. There was a lot of financial reasons, but I just, we decided fertilize all of them and then found out that we made a ton of embryos. So ultimately I felt like I had won the lottery and I saw all these patients that I had been working with and I was just like, I couldn't believe that this was kind of how it ended for me. Um, we, you know, then we had our transfer. We had a trans, we waited a little while. Um, we transferred our first embryo and it took, and that resulted in this, in the birth of our son, um, who's now 12 years old. So it feels like almost a, diff a different lifetime for me, honestly, when I think about this, but, um, when we had him, I, it really hit home. I had 18 embryos, transferred one, got a baby. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I have 17 embryos in the freezer. What am I going to do? That is a lot of embryos. And I started just starting like, just kind of like do the, the math in my head of like, how many kids can I have? You know, how can I handle this? And then I was like really looking at myself as a mom and like going this mom thing, like it's way harder than I thought. And it's way more, it takes more of my soul than I ever really understood. And I started just conceptualizing this whole piece so differently of like, how, how much can I give to one child, let alone a lot more. And I just, it really started to weigh on me that there were a lot of embryos in the freezer and there were a lot of parents that could be amazing parents, but they didn't have the luck I had. We ended up transferring another embryo down the line. That's my daughter. So our two transfers worked. We have two wonderful kids. I had hit my bandwidth and I was like, I can't, I don't think I can, I have more in me to be a good mom to more than two. And I really wanted to be a good mom. I had had such a hard childhood myself that I was like, I, it is such an important thing to me to be present and engage with my kids and walk through life with them. I don't want a huge family so that I'm so diluted. I've diluted in my, in my life. That's my experience is I, I dilute my efforts <laughs> all the time. I'm like, I want to do everything. And I try to do everything and then fail miserably, right? Like I'm constantly learning that I'm human and there's limits and I didn't want to do it with this chapter of my life. I wanted to write it differently. So I, it was really intentional that I reached out for support, that I looked for support everywhere and I couldn't find it. The only thing I could find, which is how I met Jen, is she was the only one talking about all the emotions that went into this. And I was like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. All the people in my in my clinic in my clinical circle, I had known, you know, I knew professionals. Nobody was talking about the emotions. It was just the mechanics. And I knew how clinics ran. I knew why it was, but I saw this huge gap and like nobody was talking about the stuff that so many people are dealing with because so many people use IVF now and it's not an exact science. You typically don't end up with just the exact amount that you would plan to have your family. And it's like nobody, the, the math doesn't make any sense, right? You don't even know what the variables are going in, like how many kids you want, how many kids you can handle. All that stuff is just, it, it's all a gamble. I ended up donating to my uncle and his and his wife as our first recipients. And that happened because I was gathering family history. And I asked, is anybody, anybody have any updated information? I'm going to be donating my embryos. I know this is a weird thing, but hey, you know, I just want to get the best information I can. And my uncle reached out to me and said, do you have any extra that you would be willing to donate to us? And it really got me thinking. And then it's been the most beautiful experience. Their little girl is five years old as of yesterday. Um, so we have, I, I have my 12 year old and my daughter who's eight, and then they have a five-year-old daughter who is amazing. And we have this very unique relationship where she's just like this amazingly special cousin. They know she's her sister genetically, of course, everybody knows in the family, but we've really had to under, we've really had to unpack 
how families conceptualize this because our family was like, oh, what is she to you? How are, you know, everybody's kind of like walking on eggshells at the very beginning, um, not knowing how to even talk about it in my extended family because, you know, she's technically my cousin, even though right. she's genetically my daughter. And so it's just a little bit, we have a little bit of that family dynamic thing. It's kind of a, it's kind of a long story, but um, we do have seven remaining embryos that we're still planning to donate. I'm going to be on our platform very soon. Um, we have a matching platform, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but um, I'm going to be on the platform soon because we're looking for our next recipient. And I'm hoping that those are going to become babies as well. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you all so much for sharing your stories. And so I, I agree with you, like the mechanics aren't always fun, but I do think it's important to discuss one element of the mechanics. So I, I'm assuming people who are listening to this episode already understand IVF and what an embryo is and all that. So we're going to skip past it. And if there's anyone who happens to be listening, who wants to understand all of this, you can go to the FemPower Health website and there's a whole section on trying to conceive infertility where there's all sorts of information to educate us around those types of things. So sticking to embryo donation in and of itself, I know Maya, when we were first getting to know each other, you were sharing how there really isn't like a system or process what what are the issues that people are facing because there isn't a great system around it until what you all have built now? So maybe Maya, you can start and share a little bit about that. Yeah. What are the challenges? Well, how long do you have, Georgie? <laughs> and and, and I, I do want to be solution focused because, you know, I think that's what we're really focusing on. But one of the bigger challenges or gaps that we saw when we got together and really started exploring the space is like a real lack of education around embryo donation or just embryo disposition in general. When you go through IVF and have remaining embryos, or if you have remaining embryos, you sign a form at the front end of your cycle that says, what do you want to do? Do you want to you know, whatever, continue storing? Do you want to discard, thaw and discard them, which is essentially get rid of them? Do you want to donate to science or do you want to donate to somebody else? How somebody can make that decision on the front end, if they're going to donate their embryos that they don't know if they have or not to some other person in some, in what way, in an anonymous way, in a known way, in a giving to my uncle kind of way, right? It's so, um, it's, it's a really challenging, it's, it's not really a fair question on the front end in some ways, but everybody signs these forms for, you know, legalities and the clinics need to have, you know, an understanding of what people want to do. So the first thing I think that we really see as a challenge is educating people on what are their options and what do these options mean? And now that PGT genetic testing has become really popular, people get a lot more information about their embryos. They get sometimes told a percentage chance this has to become a, a child. They get um, the sex of the embryo sometimes. And so people's conceptualization around these remaining embryos and what they mean can be very complicated. Um, and, you know, we, we've researched a lot in this field. There's not a ton of research, but, you know, what we've learned is that people really struggle for about five years with what to do with remaining embryos and that the disposition dilemma is really strong. And so what do people do? They get paralyzed and they go, all right, let's just pay for storage for another year. Let's just pay for storage. And so for right. about five years down the line, if you're lying, you, if you really go, well, okay, we're not going to need these embryos, then you got to, 
you know, shit or get off the pot. Essentially, you got to figure out what you're going to do. We're literally at that five-year mark now and going through the exact same thing now with my uncle. Yeah, it's like, it's it's almost like clockwork. We're like, oh, we really need to make a decision now. It's getting to be ridiculous. And short fees are increasing now too because there's not enough space. And I, embryos are teeny tiny, but it takes a lot of effort and resources and protection, you know, to store these teeny tiny embryos. And with egg freezing becoming more popular in the last, you know, let's say five to 10 years, it's just becoming a challenge. So the challenges are multifaceted in some ways. The challenges are for the patients, you know, specifically patients who have remaining embryos and have to figure out what to do, um, what they want to do. Um, And the challenge is also for the clinic. So the clinics are really struggling with, we have all these embryos. Um, Historically, clinics have sometimes offered embryo donation, but in a very anonymous way, so that patients could essentially give their embryos to the clinic, relinquish custody or, you know, legal custody of these embryos to the clinic, and then the clinic decides what to do with them. So, you know, we've seen and we've gathered information about just different protocols and processes where, you know, somebody could have 12 embryos. I mean, or look at Gina's situation, let's say 16 embryos, and then they're given to one family. And then you have 16 potentially genetic full siblings living in likely the same geographical area. I mean, it's problematic. Once 23andMe and Ancestry really hit the scene in an intense way or in a significant way, it changed the landscape of donor conception. Anonymity does not exist. And, um, it's taking the clinics and the, the industry a little bit of time to kind of catch up and figure out what to do. So, you know, donor conceived people are speaking up and laws are being changed. And, and there's Colorado is the first law to, you know, to, first state to pass a law about um, not allowing donor anonymity in the same way that it's been allowed, you know, in this country. And so there are a lot of things at play at the same time that I think create this challenge, but also a real opportunity for us as an industry to shift to a family centered, child centered approach to alternative family building. Anyway, so we created this ma- uh, Moxie Matching as our matching platform where people can connect, meet, and match. And then we can facilitate some of these early, like helping them navigate these early relationships that are very new and nuanced. Um, but because we have this professional experience with clinics and you know understanding the pain points at the clinic level, it also allows us to help journey manage and help people figure out, okay, if I'm going to ship embryos, how do I do that? And the legal piece of it. And, um, you know, we really follow ASRM guidelines in terms of making sure people have genetic counseling, making sure people have um, psychological support, mental health counseling, and then also legal, which are the three kind of ancillary supports that people can have so that everybody like gets set up well. The foundation of this next path is really set up. I, I would say like each of these areas, you know, warrants its own deep dive. And it sounds like, you know, your your organization will have a lot of those resources for people who really, really want to to dive in deep. So Jen, given that you've, you know, built this community and have, have helped people have those conversations and dialogue, what are some surprising things that people may not find or discover if they're Googling like these tough choices and what to do, like what might be some considerations or like, what have you found to help people get over this hump or the consideration sets they should have as they go through their journey? 
That's a great question. I mean, I think one of the first basic questions that I don't know that everyone thinks about is really how do you conceptualize an embryo? Like when you're considering donation, what are the reasons you're considering donation? Do you feel like because of your faith, do you feel like this is a must for you and you have no choice, no matter what difficult feelings come along with it? Um, Do you make a decision based on wanting to help uh, another person who has been through something um, similar to you, whether it's, you know, failed IVF or miscarriage or just in general, sort of a giving back. For me, I was in the latter category. For me, in the end, um, I chose to donate because I felt like it gave almost more purpose to all the pain I had been through by helping somebody else. Um, So when people come to me and they're really struggling with decisions, it sort of starts at that base, like, you know, how do you conceptualize this embryo? And really, what are the options you do feel comfortable with? Um, I think another thing that makes embryo donors unique when they're considering this is they all have children, right? And we talk about <clears throat> the feelings changing over time. And Maya talked about you know the disposition option in the beginning. I mean, not only do you not know if you're going to create embryos, you also don't know how you will feel once you have your own children and you see these beautiful people in the world and you know that there are other you know genetically related embryos somewhere that can go somewhere. And so I think that's sort of a two-part thing is you start to think about an embryo differently sometimes once you see your own children. And at the same time, it can cause a lot of um, fear or trepidation. Like, well, if I do donate this embryo and I have an open relationship, will this child feel like mine? Um, will it be really difficult for me if they look like one of my children or myself? And so there are a lot of fears that kind of go into uh, considering donation. And so we talk about those fears. And like you said, nobody else is really going to understand unless you are in this particular position. And I know exactly what you mean. Like, you almost don't have to say anything. You either get it or you don't. And I had a lot of very wonderful girlfriends that were helping me through this when I was trying to decide what to do with my embryo. They were fantastic, but at the same time, they didn't really get it. And you would get, I would get comments like, oh, I could never do that. And that would immediately make me shut down because I, I would like, I was so sensitive and I felt like, judged. And so having these peer support groups and people that have been through it and know how it feels is very, very important. So I think the biggest thing and my biggest message to people and maybe, you know, what Gina picked up on when she was uh, reading my stuff is you don't know exactly how you're going to feel. You can't plan for how you're going to feel if you do choose donation. But the best thing that you can do is to let yourself feel. So if those feelings are like absolute joy from the moment that you find, you know, the person that you're going to donate to and the child is born and it's wonderful. And then you, a lot of people have these sort of extended family relationships that's great. But if you're afraid that, you know, you might feel jealous at times, like I had those own fears, you know, I, and I experienced them and I, I spoke about them. And so I think it's really just that sharing and openness and and being able to say it out loud that really gets you, um, you know, through it in a positive way, in a supported way. And then again, 
there are some people that have come out of my support groups and decided this isn't for me. Like they really explored, you know, how they might feel, um, you know, and they decide at the end, you know, this just, I'm going to donate, you know, to science or lab research or whatever, which is great too. Like Maya said, you know, we, we believe in embryo donation because we're living it at the same time. It's definitely not for everybody. And, and by the way, I just want to also say for anyone who is listening, like we cannot judge anyone for any decision they make because it is so hard. And like you said, Jen, I think all of you have alluded to this is like, you can never predict what you may decide at given stages because each bit of data gives you new information. I'm so grateful, but I play in this space of grateful and why didn't I get to choose? Like, I would have loved to say I'm done with one. And by not having the ability to choose, I felt slighted, so to speak, even though I'm also grateful. So it's like these mixed emotions. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm assuming you're, you guys will all say as you're nodding, like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like I'm grateful and sad Mm -hmm. all at the same time. (laughs) It helps to make the rest of your life easier. If you can actually like land on something like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't anticipate that I was going to have to make these decisions. I have to bend my idea of the future. Oh my gosh, what does that even mean? You know? Um, and so I think, I think for me, I, I think that it really was coming into contact with those re- with all the intentionality of my life, the things that I was able to control, the things I wasn't able to control and just finding space to be okay with like being in the middle somewhere. And I think you're really talking to something important, Georgie, when it comes to the idea of choice. And, you know, very few people, I mean, I guess if you're in a same sex relationship and you need the, you know, alternative technologies to have a family, but, you know, for the most part, when you find yourself in a fertility clinic, it's not by choice. It's, or I mean, it's by choice, but it's not because you want to be there essentially. And so I think, you know, for those of us who get to the path of embryo donation, that's generally after a lot of other stuff has happened that you spent a lot of time, emotional resources, financial resources, you know, that mental gymnastics of, okay, now I'm going to shift to an egg donor. I mean, even just embracing, you know, IVF or, you know, having a doctor be part of your family building. Like there's a lot of pieces of this. And I think sometimes it can be very traumatic for people and it can, it changes for some people you go in, you do your thing and you, you get out by the skin of your teeth and you have a family. But I think for other people who've really had to let go of pieces of them, like literal pieces of themselves, whether that's the ability to carry or the, the opportunity to carry or your genetics. Um, it feels like you're landing somewhere where you don't have choices. I have to do the only way I can do this is to have a family. And when you're pushed up against a wall like that, as a you know potential recipient, let's say of embryos, it can be a little bit challenging. And, you know, I work with a lot of people on just in my private practice on sort of transitioning through some of this trauma and history and emotional experience to a place of feeling really confident with how you're moving forward. And it's expanding your definition of what makes a family or understanding, you know, people come with a lot of fears, which is, you know, Jen's talking about the fears for embryo donors in some ways, but there are a lot of fears on the other side too. Will this child feel like mine? Both parties are feeling, will this child feel like mine? This child's going to feel like somebody's, right? Like, so, but, you know, but you but people are having these common experiences and, um, 
how do you just make sense of it when, you know, the gap between what you expected to happen in your life and the reality of what's going on, plus I don't have a lot of time to do this. You know, everybody's, everybody's freaking out because it's like, you wanted this to happen yesterday and our, you know, age matters in the fertility world and stuff. So I think you're really dealing with, I don't have a lot of options. I don't have a lot of choices. And what we've really tried to do at Empower is, you know, not to sound too cliche, but really empower people to understand what their choices are and to feel like they have choice. And part of that is the idea of having a directed opportunity where you can choose, you can self-select, you can match with each other. You're not going in and ordering, you know, an embryo from a clinic. And as a donor, you're not just giving up or giving your genetics, your, your embryo for somebody else to make a decision about, because there are things beyond what color hair you have and your height and whatever that, um, that connect for people. But, you know, again, it's sort of back to like, what are my choices and how do I understand these choices and how do I feel comfortable and confident with my choice rather than I don't have a choice here. I have to just find an embryo that works. And, you know, if they have red hair, great or whatever. Right. And so it's trying to, it's just changing the narrative around this a little bit. Right. So a question to the, to that, um, as you were talking, what occurred to me also is, you know, we're in this society where things are quick fix, so to speak, because everything is just moving at such a fast pace. And I think all of us want answers yesterday or solutions. We want the pill uh, to fix everything. And it's clear that this is not that um, kind of a situation. But, you know, as you also said, Maya, we're, our bodies are on a clock. And, you know, this is not, I mean, yes, someone may be listening to this episode and say, okay, my question is, do I donate my embryo or do I use a donated embryo? But it's like bigger than that because it's, I want a family. How does it happen? What are all my options? Oh, by the way, I'm aging fast. And it's, it's like very, very stressful because you're both racing to, for an answer every month. You don't know what's going to happen <laughs> with, you know, that, that cycle but then you also know you have to make a decision. Oh, by the way, you're also emotionally stressed. Because I, I meet with people that are considering going on our matching platform. And, you know, they'll come and they'll say, you know, I know I want a boy. I know I want this and I know I want that. And what we try to do is, yes, great. Let us help you. But at the same time, leave some space for your feelings changing. Like you might really connect with a donor that has girls and that could be okay too. So we really try to help people through, you know, this like urgency and this is what I want, especially in, you know, 2023, where again, like technically you can say, okay, here's a boy, like you can check off the boxes, but because like it is, it's a, it's, it's a lifelong journey. And so it's that leaving space for feelings changing over time that I think helps sort of people through this and we're very like supportive through the process and we help with matches and we help, you know, communicate needs and wants and all of that. So hopefully the people that sort of come through our system, yes, feel that intensity, but at the same time feel very supported um, with the decisions that they make, whether it's not, whether or not it's what they thought they wanted the day that they first called us. And, and two, this also right. with our, you know, education materials, which we talked about, I mean, we've talked about the spectrum of relationship options. So somebody might come in thinking, you know, I want this, you know, I want 
very little contact, or I want a very open relationship. And then they might watch our webinar and learn, you know, okay, like there's other places, you know, where my feelings can go. And I think that's also important, like you mentioned, if you have a partner involved, because again, it's, you know, the decision, not everybody has, you know, the same thing in mind. So we try to do a lot of support and education around all of that. The truth is that it is just an entirely new journey that you're on when you embark on embryo donation as either a recipient or as a donor. And that making space for you to grow, for your family to grow, for other narratives to be involved, for other people's feelings to be involved is, it's like the life lesson we learned through all this is that like, oh, it's not just about what I had intended for my future. It's like all these other people are involved in my world too now. And like, how do I make space for that? It's really beautiful. That's the thing is that like this changed completely from a, and that's why I don't, I like the logistics mechanics of it are like just like the, the, the top layer. And it's like all this other stuff that you're learning along the way that you're like, I, there was a reason I was meant to go on this journey. It's, yep. it, I would never have chosen it for myself. Like, like if I could have like scripted out what my journey of life would have been, but honestly, like, wow, what a gift <laughs> um, to have been able to see the, through the lenses of all these different people and to, cause I mean, that was, that was part of why it was so hard for me. It was, I had all this fear of a child that would never be able to forgive me for in my mind, giving them away and like not being able to be that for that for that child that maybe what they needed, what they thought they needed. And that, how much was that projection of my own childhood experience? Like it took me a long time to like unearth the, the, the fears that I had and to really stand back and say, well, there are things I can do to be my best self in this, in who, in what decisions I make today. And that was what, what has really called me that I'm like, oh my gosh, it, it is a gift, even though it, it was not again, a, a gift I would have wanted to, you know, accept at the time. Yeah, no, it's exactly. been really beautiful and right well i'm just gonna Go add you know on the other side of this like what you're speaking about georgie also or touched on this idea of time and relationships and all of that stuff mm -hmm. i mean you know my husband and i were in this for about three and a half years before we landed on embryo donation and it became very clear to me that if we don't get out of this life of being fertility patients we might not make it out of this and so yeah it's, it's hard. really hard and I mean that's what our film is really about um and you know when we were we when we were filming it it's like you don't that was sort of our trauma narrative and we kind of filmed and just kind of went through the process a bit but when I look back at it I can really see it was a really critical moment for us to pivot and to really think of what is the the best also fastest and also not super expensive or, or, or least ex we just, we didn't have the money. I mean, I was just getting out of grad school. We bought a place and then literally fertility stuff happened. We're like, we just didn't have, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to go through X, Y, and Z multiple times. So we had to make smart decisions and we right. had to make them fast. Um, and we wanted to, to stay together if we could. And I knew I could see what was happening to yep. me and to our dynamics. So, you know, the thing about embryo donations, these embryos exist, they're there. And it is a faster path for some people. It is a really good option for some single women who, you know, may have, we've worked with several, like they froze their eggs in their late thirties and now are in their forties. And, you know, it's a, it's, it, it's a different opportunity um, for, you know, different populations who've been a bit underserved by embryo donation in general, um, be, 
because of you know various kind of politics around embryo donation. But um, but it's faster, and it's also the only truly altruistic gamete donation. You don't pay for an embryo. You match, and you have to go through the process. But it's um, a much more affordable option, which I think fertility treatment is expensive <laughs> and insurance coverage yes. has changed over the last decade since I was a patient. I didn't have any coverage. Um, and a lot of people still don't. And so, you know, I think that there are different reasons why people come to embryo donation as a recipient, but the, the time factor and the cost factor might also play a role in it. So I do, I do have a question here, which is bringing up the A word, which is the next episode in this series on family building, which is adoption. So, you know, many will say how, like, you're so privileged to go through these options of IVFs, embryo donations, like, how could you? There's all these children who need a home, you know, why aren't you adopting or why aren't you um, a foster parent? You know, again, I, I know there's not an easy answer that is like hard. And so I don't know we if we leave it at, yes, it's hard. Listen to the next episode if you're looking at that path on on how you might you know, handle those dynamics. Um, but I don't know if there's anything to just mention here to just acknowledge sometimes those dynamics, um, likely from people who aren't in your shoes to know how freaking hard <laughs> this is. Adoption is an amazing choice. I went, I started down the pathway. Honestly, when I was going down the pathway, um, I was told by adoption specialists, I went to multiple meetings that it's a hard time to adopt. I was told uh, the expense of it is quite expensive. It's, you know, at, at times, yep. and you're going to talk to Erin next episode, and she's a friend of ours, and we love her, and she's done some amazing work to make this a more affordable path for people. But when I was looking into it, it was upwards of $30,000 plus. And after you've gone through fertility treatments, you've gone through loss, you've gone through genetic grief. You know, I was like, I want, if I can give birth to my child, that would be a huge win. And that was my own personal feeling. But for right. people who aren't as connected to that or who have other, you know, challenges with carrying a pregnancy, adoption is an amazing option. But I don't think it's like you're a fertility patient, you know, therefore you should just adopt. I don't think it's as simple as that. I right. think it's you're trying to build a family. Let's yeah. look at what's there and what's what is going to feel like the best path forward. So I think adoption should be included in fertility, the fertility space, 100 percent you know, embryo donation shares some commonalities with adoption, but it's quite different in a lot of ways, but it's parenting a non-genetic child. I've spent a lot of time thinking about those, about those questions. And I think primarily because there wasn't a lot written um, about embryo donors that I really started to engage in that literature, trying to understand this, the, the, the dynamics. And some of the things that are very different for adoption versus embryo donation is the, the life path of the the genetic parents essentially is that like like Jen and I and many embryo donors we've already created our families we've already been through a whole lot and so we're kind of at the at the tail end usually um, and we're in a different place where we're conceptualizing things and I think it's very different for um, for many not all I mean there's plenty of um, adoptees that are you know second or third children or whatever to a birth mom but um, I think it's a different experience for a lot of people that place their children for adoption. Um, and so from that perspective, but I also think that it's not for every, that on the recipient side of things, on the parenting side of things, the, the ability to take on 
the the dynamics and take on the the child's needs in various situations is can be very different and we really have to prioritize the child's needs about above everything um and so i think it's really important that only people that are called to adoption adopt um and that 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 feel capable of meeting all those things and that's not a, a lot of fertility patients are traumatized after their experience with fertility and not to the point that they are the they're necessarily the the every single one of them should be adopting. Um, they're both really amazing options for family building. They both have unique needs. And there's, it's not like we're competing against uh, that. <laughs> it's like, it's like their um, embryo donations on option and adoption is an option. And I think there's a lot of kids that, that, um, I mean, there's a lot of embryos that are available and there's a lot of, but actually adoption, it's harder. That's actually harder to find. So, um, I don't know. So yeah. I don't know that I, it's hard. whenever somebody talks to me about that, like, why do I don't understand? Like, I don't consider my embryos competing with space for in families as for the same places that, that children that would be adopted would be. A lot of people choose embryo donation, um, even if they're using a surrogate. And so I think in, like, I'm thinking of this one case, for example, of, um, of two women who were cancer survivors, um, Neither one was able to create embryos before very early intervention to create embryos. Neither were able to carry, but um, one donated her embryos to the other. So now they sort of have this extended family because they're raising, you know, genetic siblings, but they also have this past bond over this experience of, um, you know, cancer survival. So even if you're not able to carry the child yourself, a lot of people are choosing embryo donation with surrogacy because of whatever meaning it might bring to that sort of extended family feeling. I love that. Thank you. So just just to kind of summarize here, um, one, I am so honored that each of you shared your story. And like so many of us in women's health, we have struggled and we are here to say, let's help others. And a lot of the, the, they're called femtech companies are coming out because of that. Um, you know, it's not just fertility. There's a lot of conditions in women's health that are under-researched, underfunded, not well understood. And if, you know, those ahead of us couldn't make the change, we women who've struggled are. And I really appreciate you sharing the honest dynamics that people who are trying to build their families need to think about and acknowledging that it's hard. And I hope those who've listened, who maybe aren't going through it, but know someone who is, have a lot more empathy for how darn hard and scary this is and um, can be supportive. So to end on such a beautiful, even more beautiful note, I don't even know how this has been such a beautiful discussion. Who would like to share the story? Each match that we're working with and supporting is just uniquely sweet and special and beautiful. But I'm thinking about one particular match of a single man. And we don't hear a lot about single men, not, not a gay man, a single straight man who, you know, after a divorce went through fertility, right? Went through trying to build a family with an egg donor and a surrogate. And was successful and had remaining embryos and decided he'd like to give another single person um, an opportunity. And let me tell you, for single men going through this kind of process, it is hard. 
it is really hard and there's stigma and there's all kinds of stuff. But anyways, he's just a lovely, lovely person and um, has a child who's, I believe, six or somewhere around there and decided he wanted to help another single person. And they matched on our platform and they're just, the, they're just the lovely. It's just, it's one of those things where we're just like, we just love them. And, and anyways, and um, we're getting to the end of the journey management piece and hopefully the beginning of a new journey for this recipient. And, you know, I, she, there are moments where it's like, she's still surprised that this has happened for her. And, and anyways, it's I, that it just warms my heart and that we're able to, to help people find their families. And probably in this case, it will be an extended family kind of scenario and the children will know each other and will be able to provide this long-term family support so that they have the language and the tools to talk to these children who are full genetic siblings with different homes and different single parents that are awesome. And, um, and I don't know, that's, that's just top of my mind because we're really in it with them right now. Um, but Right. But yeah. Wow. That I love that. I love that. Cause you're, you're right. Everyone's story is so different. It's like, how do you pick? Cause there are, you know, this, and, and this is definitely not a game, um, so to speak on, on who gets the best option, but I I'm glad I asked the question because that is such a beautiful story because I know right now it's, you know, women, women are underfunded, under-researched. We women need more. We deserve better. But, you know, I actually have a lot of men come to me and say, but there's a lot for men yeah. who don't understand yet yeah. either. And here you go with that example. Um, so thank you. And, and thank you all so much for making time. And the show notes will have all the information on how to stay in touch um, with you all. And is there, are there any last requests or statements or, or have we covered this in every perspective possible in a short episode? Yeah, no, I think we could, talk I know today. it's like, yeah. Anybody want to talk about embryos, but no, we yes. really appreciate, um, we appreciate the work that you're doing and the way you're educating and informing people. And we're just so grateful to be a part of it. Cause we know this is, it's, it's a, it's a real topic for a lot of people. Um, going through fertility and mm, yeah, absolutely. having embryos. So we just thank you for having us. Awesome. Thank you. And I'm so happy the three of you were brought together to do this. And that wraps up another empowering session here at the FemPower Health Podcast. Now, before you dash off, I've got a quick, exciting invitation for you. Please join our vibrant community by subscribing to our weekly newsletter, because it's really your frontline update on groundbreaking women's health research, the latest health-enhancing products, fun quizzes to boost your health IQ, and unique discoveries that you won't want to miss. All of this delivered straight to your inbox, cutting through the noise of social media algorithms. Love today's insights? Show your support by rating and reviewing our podcast. Your feedback is more than just a pat on our backs here at FemPower Health. It lights the way for others seeking guidance and community in their health journey, amplifying the voices that need to be heard. And for a deeper dive into today's topics, check out the show notes and explore our website at fempower-health.com. Our site is a treasure trove of knowledge neatly categorized by topics of interest and life stages, ensuring you find exactly what you need to empower your health journey. And your voice matters to us deeply. Whether you have a question, a story to share, or feedback on our episodes, reach out directly at info at 
fmpower-health.com, drop us a message on social media, or hit reply on any newsletter. Your insights inspire our conversations. And a quick note, the knowledge we share is here to embolden you in discussions with your healthcare provider. It's not medical advice. Always consult with your doctor for health decisions. And remember, the diverse perspectives of our guests reflect their individual journeys, and it's not an endorsement by FemPower Health. Here's to empowering your health journey one episode at a time, and I'll see you on the next FemPower Health podcast episode.